The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Good evening and welcome to our special coverage of the second Republican presidential primary debate. <sighs> I'm Rachel Maddow here at MSNBC with my beloved colleagues, Chris Hayes, Joy Reid, Ari Melber, Stephanie Rule. Great to all be together in this difficult time. Uh, we're going to be joined by California Governor Gavin Newsom in just a little bit. He was there at the debate. God bless him. We're going to get his take on what went down tonight. The debate is just now wrapping up after two hours of Talking and stuff. Seven Republicans squared off tonight at the Ronald Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. And of course, you know, there's just at a basic political science level, two big questions coming out of tonight's debate. The first is the obvious one. Will anything that happened in the second debate have any effect on these seven candidates, on, on their campaigns, on their standing in the race? We had we've had one debate all, already that first debate last month, appeared to have no major effect on the polls at all. There was only one candidate who got a significant polling bump out of the first debate, and that was the candidate who did not attend. Donald Trump got the largest bump of all the candidates out of that first debate, and again, he was not there. Um, the stakes are higher this time around. Candidates need a fundraising boost out of this debate to keep their campaigns going, also to qualify for the next debate, which has a much higher bar of entry than this one did. They've all got to get some momentum out of this. In previous years, in other Republican presidential primaries, by this time in the calendar, high-profile candidates had already started dropping out. So if past is prologue, it's possible that we should see a thinning of the herd, I guess, in the wake of tonight's debate. But who knows? Nothing feels normal anymore. But that's the first main question. Anything happened tonight that's going to affect their overall stakes in this race. Of course, the second big question tonight is specific to our time. The second big question tonight is, so what? What does all this mean? Why are we here? When the candidates tonight talked over and over and over again about law and order, crime, law and order, the rule of law, law and order, they were awkwardly not talking about the far and away leading Republican candidate, former President Donald Trump, who is facing 91 felony counts in four separate criminal cases. He's also now facing the possible dissolution of his business empire thanks to a devastating new ruling in the New York Attorney General's multi-billion dollar fraud suit against him. Donald Trump is nevertheless leading the entire field of other Republican candidates by roughly 40 points nationally and by more than 30 points in each of the early voting states. Tonight, instead of debating those challengers, Trump held an event in Michigan that was designed to sort of look like he was maybe supporting auto workers. But unlike President Biden, who yesterday actually walked a picket line with actual striking UAW auto workers, uh, tonight, Mr. Trump appeared at an invitation-only event at a non-union auto parts supplier where he was invited to speak by the management. Meanwhile, among his... <laughs> Among his challengers, among his rivals, 
Um, this is what it sounded like for one Republican presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, tonight uh, to slam a car door on another candidate when she told Vivek Ramaswamy um, in response to a question about TikTok that every time she hears him speak, she feels a little dumber. We're only going to ever get to declaring independence from China, which I favor, if we actually win. So while the Democrats are running rampant, reaching the next generation three to one, there's exactly one person in the Republican Party which talks a big game about reaching young people, and that's me. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Veteran political reporter Mark Caputo watching tonight's debate posted online this phrase. He said, find you someone to love you as much as Nikki Haley hates Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't know if that's good advice for finding love, but it is advice based in the reality of tonight's debate. You know what I did with my first company? We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. And when I started my yeah, next right company, you ran Strive, Prime. right when it was years ago. The reality is we just because just because Putin people. is not an evil, Putin's an evil dictator does not mean that Ukraine is good. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. A win that has for actually, Russia is a that win is not for true. China. We're driving a win Russia. For Russia excuse me. Excuse me. If you have a chance, you'll have you'll have your chance in just a moment. Yeah. The hurling of personal insults isn't helping. Hurling of personal insults was the most dynamic experience that any of us had watching this debate. But that was arguably not a great tactic in terms of distinguishing oneself as a candidate. There was also an interesting dynamic tonight with the moderators, with at least one of the moderators, Ilya Calderon from Univision. She's the the only one of tonight's three moderators who has some experience moderating debates. We've all had various roles in it at times. We all know it's very difficult not casting aspersions on any of our colleagues over at the Fox Networks. But it was Ms. Calderon who actually, in her questioning, sort of distinguished herself by, by telling the listening audience tonight something they are not used to hearing on Fox. She mentioned, for example, that when it comes to fentanyl, 90% of fentanyl is caught at the U.S. border and most is brought by American citizens. That is something Fox audiences may never have heard on their television before. She also confronted former Vice President Mike Pence with this question about the LGBTQ community right now. Um, it was a question, again, that Fox viewers are not used to hearing. And it elicited, at first, a sort of general platitude from Mr. Pence and then a somewhat chilling threat from him toward that community. The Department of Homeland Security warns that violence against LGBTQ plus people is on the rise and intensifying. According to a recent study, members of that community are nine times more likely to be victims of violent hate crimes. As president, how would you protect this community from violent attacks and discrimination? Well, as president of the United States, I'll, I'll stand up for the safety uh, and the civil liberties of every American from every background. And I want the American people to know that. We're going to stand up for the rights of parents and we're going to pass a federal ban on transgender chemical or surgical surgery anywhere in the country. 
Mike Pence making a remarkable pivot there. Um, there's more to recap in terms of what happened at tonight's debate. I don't exactly know what to pick as kind of highlights or memorable moments. Well, to my mind, I feel like um, Nikki Haley telling Vivek Ramaswamy effectively, please stop talking. You're ruining everything and we don't have much was sort of a memorable thing. But I don't I mean, honestly, I don't I don't know what else to pull well, out to say, hey, this was important. I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking of like the compliment sandwich you do when you're like editing, you know, or you say something nice and then the critiques and then something nice. So like, I'll say that like some of the questions were good and there were moments in the debate that were recognizably politicians talking about policy. Like even if it's, you know, bad, like what they want to do on tax cuts. The entire thing was a complete waste that now I'm in the middle of the sandwich because <laughs> they, they, the whole thing is like acting like Donald Trump doesn't exist. And it's so- And that's the person they're running against. Well, that's my they're point. They're not but running the against Joe Biden. They don't know- this is what's so interesting when he's not there. They know something has been broken in the Republican Party, but they don't know what the thing is after it. Like, they, you, you hear them sometimes, you feel like you're in a weird time warp, like Tim Scott talking about balanced budget amendment and going on and on with deficit and debt. And it's like, I don't, I'm not a Republican base member, but I know your base doesn't care about that. Yeah. How do I know that? I'm an MSNBC host. How do you not know <laughs> okay, that? You about, do this for a living. But what like, about that everyone's shedding a tear and honoring the fact that they're in the Ronald Reagan library while they know that there's not even any resemblance whatsoever of Ronald Reagan Republicans that are currently in office? And if they are, they're leaving out the side door. Right. But, I mean, I, if I could just agree with Nikki Haley on something tonight, I too feel dumber. <laughs> after experiencing uh, that uh, debate, because if any, what is it, seven people mm. could have made Donald Trump appear to have more stature as a politician, those are the seven people who could do it. Because the of is, the dynamic between them? Because yes. of the quibbling kind of stuff that they was were, happening? It was very shouty. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of good, like, sort of shade moments, you know, Tim Scott throwing shade at Ramaswamy, uh, Nikki Haley throwing shade at Ramaswamy. He took a lot of incoming. Yeah. But it felt more like a student council debate than a debate for anyone who has any plausible possibility of being president, to be honest, even if Donald Trump wasn't in the race. Mm. None of them came across as having the stature of an executive. They all seemed like fellow legislators bickering about the things they've done. You know, Tim Scott kept talking about the bills that he's, you know, gotten into committee. Mm -hmm. OK, well, yeah. that's congratulations, Tim Scott. Nikki Haley sort of bickering about things she did as governor and then fighting with Tim Scott about it. It felt very small. And, and, and I think if I were and I again, I, too, I'm not, you know, I can't relate to the Republican base, but none of them made an argument that sounded like an argument to be president of the United States. I would I would the only person I think who was trying to do that and was literally not allowed to get a word in edgewise was Doug Burgum. Yes, I agree. Who kept saying from the wings, hey, 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 over here, I'm yeah. the governor of an yeah. energy state. We're talking about energy. Yeah. We talk about what I've done on energy. The word from the moderator, no. no. <laughs> um, I mean, that was, there was a little dynamism there. Yeah. I mean, the person who is the least viable candidate on a stage of unviable candidates, Mr. Yeah. Burgum, was actually trying to say, hey, whatever's been going on in Washington, I don't know, I've never worked there. Yeah. I am a governor of an interesting state that's had some policy yeah. successes. But he was so 
um, marginal to the conversation, both physically and in terms of the way that he was treated, the yeah. insulting way that I think that he was treated, that I think the one person who could have maybe distinguished himself along yeah. those lines really just Couldn't wasn't it. allowed can to. Can I just add one more thing? To sure, you? of course. To, but the other thing, the giant kind of helium balloon floating over their heads as this was happening, is that the guy who wasn't there threatened to put to death the highest ranking general in the United States. Yeah. And they're talking about law and order and crime and fentanyl and who's bringing the fentanyl and is it the people in Mexico and da, 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 we need to militarize the border. The guy that you're running against that you purportedly believe shouldn't be president because you're there. You're there. And by definition, that means you think you should be president instead of him. Said he wanted to put to death General Mark Milley. And, they didn't and this bring didn't it up. even come up. No. Didn't come up. It didn't come up. And actually, a little later on this hour, we're going to play the response that General Milley had to that claim tonight, which was absolutely bone chilling. Yeah. Uh, but yes, they did not ask about that for all the law and order and all the rule of law discussion tonight. As I mentioned, not a single question about what's going on with the former president who they're all running against, who's facing 91 felony counts. Yeah. And Rachel, if you were to believe what you heard tonight and took it at face value, then you would have to believe the worst thing Donald Trump has ever done to these Republican candidates is not showing up tonight. <laughs> it's not what you just said. That's right. That's that is the right. Shonda. <laughs> that is the worst thing. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and what's funny about that is uh, this is a democracy, so everyone will make up their own mind, including Republican primary voters. But if you listen to Republican primary voters in person when we interview folks or through the polling, there are other things that people are concerned about with Donald Trump, uh, whether it's the, the fraud that some people care about, the threats, um, taking the party off course, not having a core. You can actually find him pulling a bunch of different things that relate to people's lives and his record. And all they had was a kind of a political complaint that it's not fair that he's treating them and their debate tonight like it doesn't matter. That was the one thing that more than one of them, Christy and DeSantis and others, criticized. But Ari, it was also a pivot party, right? We know how expensive political ads are. They don't have to pay a dime for this. They had an opportunity for an hour to look in the camera and say to the American people, here's the policies I want to put forward. Right. Every single thing they were asked about the auto worker strike, they pivoted uh, pivot line. How about Joe Border at the borderline? Come on now. You want to go after Joe Biden or you want to talk about immigration? We can do that over here. But it was stunning to me how many good questions were asked yeah, were and how many few were actually there were, answered. There were two things that really struck me. Two, two things that in my career as a journalist covering this, Republicans have often wanted to talk about. One is the Affordable Care Act, which to their credit, they asked about. Again, I thought the questions were actually pretty good. Yeah. They asked about the Affordable No one has any <laughs> yada, 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 blah, 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 yeah. total word salad and let's move on. Same and, thing with, and, the, with the auto strike. The Tell auto strike. What answer we got. And then the other the thing. four-day work week was the, and with a little wink with that. But how about an answer? The other thing that they have for my adult career wanted to talk about is abortion. They like to talk about abortion. Republicans like to talk about abortion. They have talked about abortion a lot in my career as a political journalist. They got teed up an abortion question. Ron DeSantis spent 45 seconds attacking Donald Trump from the right on abortion. And then it was like, done with that. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Christie pulled off the rare abortion to fentanyl to treatment (laughs) double pivot to get away from the issue as fast as possible, because all of a sudden this thing that they have spent decades talking about, they do not want to talk about. By the way, on that point, Ron DeSantis, I thought, had the biggest fail on the abortion question because he's the guy with the six week abortion ban. Mm -hmm. So it is the most relevant to his political problems right now. And his answer 
was to say, well, it's not a problem because I won a landslide victory in my reelection <laughs> like years before I did the six week abortion ban. It's irrelevant that you got reelected. They reelected you not thinking you were going to do a six week abortion right. ban. But that man. was just a classic moment of political cowardice. Right. Because here you've got everybody who is a like sixth grade level political analyst in America saying hmm, Republicans are losing elections they might otherwise win because people don't like them on abortion right now. And it's just true. It's plainly yes. true. And everybody honestly yes. looking at it will admit that. And then for DeSantis to get up there and say, I really think that pro-life voters and the pro-life cause is being unfairly <laughs> blamed yeah. Yeah. for our losses. Look at me. Yeah. I did something before my six-week ban. <laughs> I mean, it's just, he's just, I mean, he's not just lying in your face and, and, and pulling off this sort of timeline switcheroo that makes what he's saying just plainly false. It's, it's actually bad for yes. his party. That's right. That he is telling them that something that's really hurting them is not hurting. Well, them. they Absolutely. also need to workshop you got to someone's that got to workshop how you're going to defend your six week ban. Yeah. Like that's the time to do it. Yes. Among a friendly group that's right, of yeah. Republican voters, you got to come up with some message about how you're going to defend your six week ban. And, you know, if you can, they still don't, you know, Donald Trump's line in that interview, he goes, once they get the number of weeks right, that's what's going to be doing. That's just like, it's just the, it's the number of weeks. And it's I'm like, going to no, negotiate something. That, exactly. Gonna love. They're like, all going to love it's it. It's a deal. No, but no one has come up with anything. The only person who is tried to do something. Again, Nikki Haley and her answer to the last debate. And I would just say otherwise about this. I didn't think she was amazing tonight. I still think if you gave me a magic wand and you said, create a conditions under which it's possible someone else gets the nomination, one-on-one -on -one Haley versus Trump at least would be something. It would at least be a place for the 30 to 40% of the party maybe that is like doesn't maybe want Trump to be the nominee to like consolidate around, but yeah. other than she's that, she's the it's most not skilled, yeah, effective candidate. Yes, yeah. among them, among has all of these non-viable candidates, yeah. she, as a non-viable candidate, totally has has skills as a candidate, which in is politician. wild because she was actually not a very good politician in South Carolina. She's improved over the course. She got of, much better. I think. I think her time in Washington actually seasoned her and made her. her. She's she's got kind of a BS detector that I think yes. has a little bit of appeal stuff. How do you think Donald Trump feels tonight? Like, this didn't matter. I mean, aside from his concern with, like, wearing a prison jumpsuit in his <laughs> final years, which he's asking his staff about, which I think, honestly, is front of mind. Well, I think he thinks fine. his apartment seized in Manhattan. I think he is focused on the fact that his apartment in Trump Tower could get seized. Like, I don't think his mind is on this foolishness tonight because it doesn't matter. And he knows it doesn't matter. Let me ask the control room right now to pull up um, soundbite number six. Um, which has, it's a two-parter. It's got um, Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy in it. Just because one of the things that Trump was having to think about tonight was his counter-programming against this debate. Instead of just going on the the Elon Musk machine, like he did at the, la at the first debate, this time he decided to do what was effectively an anti-union event, um, invited by management to a non-union shop to complain about union workers in the middle of an auto strike. But is he complaining about union workers or union bosses? Because that's actually the needle that Trump threads. Attent tries to thread, yeah. Well, so Which here he was, did in 2016. Yeah. And here is how two of the candidates on stage tonight uh, addressed this. This is right off the top of the debate. So if there's if anybody in America saw any of this debate before they started pounding themselves in the head because it felt better and they turned it off, this was probably the part they saw. They want four-day French work weeks, but more money. They want more benefits, working fewer hours. That is simply not going to stand. So I understand that hardship is not a choice. 
But victimhood is a choice. And we choose to be victorious in the United States of America. You know what, if I was giving advice to those workers, I would say go pick it in front of the White House in Washington, D.C. What? Don't, don't pick it in front of your employer who you're striking for better wages. Instead, do a political thing that I suggest because you're playing the victim. I mean, I, I will say whatever you, whatever your view is of labor politics in America and the idea, sort of where that falls on the ideological number line and how it intersects with electoral politics, I think that most Americans looking at the UAW strike have sympathy with UAW That's workers. Right. And funny. this, watching this, Tonight, there was nothing there. It was absolutely the opposite of that in a way that I think was very poorly played. And I think that it's actually going to make Trump look even worse in comparison. Well, and no acknowledgement. Oh, go in. No, I was just going to say, go ahead. No acknowledgement, right? They love to be the four-day work week. Do you know what the pay increase they want? With no acknowledgement that auto workers' pay has been going down for the last decade, right? So when you look at it in a vacuum, you're like, what are they asking for? Put it in perspective. And it's noteworthy. Joy and I were talking about this earlier tonight, right? There's a lot of politicians that say they're pro-union, but Joe Biden made a serious move yesterday, actually walking the picket line because he knows Donald Trump was able to peel uh, union working voters away in 2016. And Joe Biden is making it clear, yep. I stand with you. So to watch those candidates tonight either dismiss or mock These auto workers is so surprising to me because when you think about that populist message that Trump is so dependent on, I'm like, who are you talking to tonight? And especially especially Tim Scott. I think he has carved out what could be the dumbest political position on this of any of them, because his position is the first question of the night. Yeah. And his position is they should get fired. And when he gets up there and says, well, what do they want? A four day work week and more money? Everyone watching, even on Fox, is like, yeah, we'd all like to have a four-day work week and, and more money. Who wouldn't? Because Who in America way, ever looks at anybody them, in any work situation saying, man, they should get paid less per hour? Right. Yeah. Most like, of you just, this is not a human instinct. But most are currently working a six-day work yeah. week. So, That's again, right. they're looking at this like these people are taking a smoke break for six hours. <laughs> I invite you to stand on the line and take their jobs for one day and then judge it, Tim well, Scott, or to Vivek Ramaswamy, my my company, my company. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm probably the most pro-business person sitting here on this panel, but it drives me bananas to watch someone in that seat try to say that being the president of the United States, running a country of 330 million people is the same as that big boy's startup. Sorry, yeah. bud. Especially since he took what as uh, uh, Mehdi Hassan eviscerated him on, took $750,000 in hedge fund bonuses and then took a Soros affirmative action scholarship <laughs> for the children of immigrants uh, and didn't see the irony in that. Well, and when you look at the public support for unions, you just fact check, Rachel, why Donald Trump was actually doing a management event. Um, but the public support for the union cause is large enough in the center and some of the center right that Donald Trump wanted to fake the photo op. Uh, Biden was there yesterday and Trump wanted the PR photo version of I went I went out there, too. Um, now, you peel back the layer, you look past the photo and you find out it was more of a meeting with the bosses than the strikers. But uh, I think that speaks to why. And this is a funny thing to say. Um, he has a feeling for how to fake. Yes. What correct. the broader support. Totally is agree. Then the folks on the stage who are playing to a kind of a troll version of the. Party. That's exactly what I was yep. trying to say. Is that like Donald Trump has a theory of the con? Like, he knows the con he's trying to pull off, which is 
I hate all these people as much as you do. I hate yeah. the establishment. I'm for you. I'm going to blow things up. I hate the same people you hate. And it's all rigged and I'm part, not part of their club. And he has a way of channeling that, which is very effective. They don't have a theory at all of what they are trying to do to speak to that same base that now is there. Unless, unless the whole point of tonight's debate, which I, among all of us, have been saying loud and proud, had no point. Maybe the point of tonight's debate is to get the whoever the new equivalent is of the Koch brothers to get the donor class yeah. in the Republican yeah. Party saying, okay, there's the person who will side with okay. me against unions yes. and who will okay. side with so, me in business terms, even in ways that are repellent to voters. This mm-hmm. is what I don't get. That donor class is who Ron DeSantis was courting yes. 10 months ago. Successful. Right? Well, well Donald, I think it was Donald Trump was in Iowa. And that's when Ron DeSantis went shimmying over to Palm Beach with a big money bag and went to all their houses and said, I'm Trump without the indictments, boys. And then a minute later, he launched a war against Disney. And they were like, forget it. So, so, so to but now they're point, on, they went on to Tim Scott for five minutes. Now they're on to Nikki Haley. But, but this goes back. Joy was saying, you know, she doesn't understand. Tim Scott made the dumbest move. I don't understand who Ron DeSantis's voter is, right? If you're anti-union worker and you're anti-business, yeah. what's your lane? <laughs> so, by the way, the other sort of dropped ball here, and he actually needed to do the most tonight. Let's just be clear. He's been dropping in the polls more than anyone else. He actually needed something tonight. He got nothing. DeSantis. DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. But he also actually dodged a bullet because this is the guy who has driven, what, 700,000 or so Latino workers out of his state They're now working in Alabama and Georgia and getting arrested on the way home. The Mexican government is now involved in one of these cases. And that is during hurricane season when they need the labor to do things like construction and when the agricultural industry is screaming. Mm -hmm. This guy is destroying us. When Disney is rethinking investing in the state of Florida, he is the most anti-business guy up there. He's done the worst job in terms of growing his state. And he's still touting 2018 numbers to pretend that things are doing well and, if and no one hit them all. And if he's saying, man, it costs so much when you go to the grocery store, you know why your produce costs so much? Because there are no pickers Correct. in Florida there to pick the produce to there bring them to grocery stores. Were you, I was surprised, I thought it was an interesting moment again, like there's sort of this obituaries about the DeSantis campaign that should have been already <laughs> being written. Yeah. Um, even though, what is it, it's like October <laughs> or September. Um, it was amazing to me. Again, I thought the moderators did some good job with good questions. He had nothing on the insurance question. No, that was a that, fa- was, that was a fascinating moment. It's like really the, not a, not asked a policy question, no, but asked as a cost of living right. lifestyle Literally, issue in your state. It is the case people don't have health insurance at a way worse rate than they did the rest in the rest of the country. That's it. And and no the, and the no answer. And and you know, insurance in Florida has been a huge property issue. Both insurance. property insurance and because health, it's really home insurance. a climate question. Because it's stunning that you have basically a climate. Denial nine governor in Florida, a state where you basically cannot get homeowners insurance anymore because private insurers are like, I'm sorry, it's hurricane season. That's a no for me. And Ron DeSantis has no answer. At this point, the state is the only place you can go if you need insurance, making it an unsustainable place to live long term. Yeah, I just thought he's someone who it seems, you know, obviously he sort of ensconced himself in this media bubble. And then when he was outside the media bubble, his whole thing was just to sort of yell at the reporter (laughs) to make a clip for Fox News. But it was interesting to me. This is sort of just basic blocking and tackling kind of thing. Like, here's the thing about your state. What's your response? It's the kind of thing you would be prepped for. And it just seemed like 
Nothing. Nothing. No, and that's just, again, as a, just a basic level of candidate competency was pretty striking. Now, we're going to take a quick break. We've got lots more of our special post-debate coverage to come in just a few minutes. This is important. We're going to be speaking live with California Governor Gavin Newsom from the site of tonight's debate. I'm really looking forward to hearing what he had to say about it. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. I think I've been the only one in this stage who's been clear about this. I vote Donald Trump off the island right now. This guy has not only divided our party, he's divided families all over this country. He's divided friends all over this country. I've spoken to people, and I know everyone else has, who have sat at Thanksgiving dinner or at a birthday party and can't have a conversation anymore if they disagree with Donald Trump. He needs to be voted off the island, and he needs to be taken out of this process. First, let me say I'm glad I'm glad Vivek uh, pulled out of his business deal in 2018 in China. That must have been about the time you decided to start voting in presidential elections. Sick burn. (laughs) Joining us now is the Democratic governor of the great state of California, Gavin Newsom, who has decided to himself wade into the world's most pleasant spin room uh, in the wake of this debate. Governor Newsom, it's nice to see you. You look like you're having a great time. I'm having a great time, but if that was the best moment for Mike Pence, uh, it wasn't a great night for our Republican friends. I mean, it re- objectively, what, what are we going to be talking about, Rachel, in 72 hours? Uh, you know, I'm still getting over the Pence comment about the sex joke, and I don't say that pejoratively. Honestly, it's a little strange, and I know you guys showed the clip, but that was a nothing burger. Honestly, more disappointing uh, in it than I was expecting. Well, we've got this unusual situation where everybody knows that this is kind of a it's not a sideshow, but it's a second stage when you've got a de facto nominee already on the Republican side. But he's somebody who's got 91 felonies pending against him. Um, and you've got these other people who are also running, none of whom seem to be attracting any interest from Republican voters at all. Um, and I don't want to ask you to advise your Republican friends there, but I do have to ask if you think that the Republican primary, primary process has a purpose and whether tonight's debate had a purpose, uh, whether it did any good. I mean, uh, selling ads, perhaps. Uh, but it, you're right. It was the XFL. It was the JV team. Um, I thought, and I mean this, I'm not just trying to even play games here. I thought it would be more of a vice presidential debate, but I wasn't even convinced that we saw the next vice presidential nominee uh, for Donald Trump on the stage. So look, from Trump's perspective, tonight was great. There was no great breakout. Uh, there was there was feeble attempts to take shots at Trump uh, for not showing up. Uh, but I honestly, and I mean this, I know I'm in the spin room. I know I'm with you, Rachel. I really believe the winner tonight was the Biden agenda. They identified problems. Biden's not only identified solutions, he's gotten them passed in a bipartisan way to address so many of the issues the Republicans brought up. They brought up no other alternative strategy to meaningfully address the issue of inflation, to address the issue of continued economic growth. Uh, They offered nothing in the way of international foreign policy that was particularly novel. So I I thought Biden honestly was the big winner tonight. In terms of some of the specific proposals that we did hear from these candidates tonight, one of the, um, I think, more memorable 
proposals possibly was um, former Vice President Mike Pence saying that he would solve school shootings by instituting a fast death penalty process, a federal um, expedited death penalty for, for school shooters, and he attacked Governor Ron DeSantis for the fact that the Parkland shooter is alive and behind bars and hasn't been killed yet. Just wanted your reaction to that. Uh, pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. He's been saying this now for months. I cringe every time I hear this. Has anyone read any of these manifestos? I just finished the Buffalo Manifesto. In every one of these manifestos, they talk about the fact that they believe they're either going to be killed or they're going to take their own life. What a joke that that somehow is a deterrence. Number one killer, number one killer of our kids is guns. And that was the solution tonight. That was a debate. The next president of the United States around how to deal with mass shootings. I don't want to say disqualifying, but honestly, for a former vice president, pathetic. Let me ask you also about um, some of the discussion tonight about the auto worker strike. Obviously, this is you know, all three big uh, of the big American auto companies, uh, United Auto Workers, a uh, strike that is very painful for their members. And honestly, in terms of the, the politics and the, the optics of it, a, a strike where a lot of Americans very much feel for the auto workers, especially given that what we know about the record profits that the industry them, it, it itself has been enjoying. We saw President Biden literally on the picket line with striking workers. Yesterday, we saw um, former President Donald Trump tonight, instead of attending the debate, he was invited by management to a non-union firm where he criticized auto workers yep. and criticized unions there. We also saw Tim Scott yep. tonight say that the real problem is that workers are asking for too much. I have to, it, it feels like it's sort of visiting from another planet, these politics, but I have to ask your assessment of that as well. Well, number one, I was really proud to see the president on the picket line. It was one of the best days, I think, in months. It is great to see him out there with working folks. And it was also not lost on me, the assault, the attacks on, quote unquote, union bosses, meaning union leaders, that all they want is a fair living wage. All they want is their fair share. Uh, and for all the rhetoric, Republicans try to be populist and they talk about current, you know, finding attachment to blue collar workers. Uh, they offered nothing tonight. Uh, the rhetoric from Scott was reprehensible. Uh, the rhetoric from the others was, again, more union bashing, which we've heard uh, over and over and over from Republican candidates. Uh, it was very stale. And as you said, I mean, the idea that Donald Trump can lay claim to any association with these striking workers, and then he goes to a non-union shop. Again, another point of fundamental contrast between the two visions, daylight and darkness, Biden, Trump. And, and Governor, we've we've remarked here, um, and I've remarked here since we started our coverage, our response tonight, that for all the discussion of law and order and rule of law and the problem of crime and standing up for law enforcement tonight, there was it's just this big obvious non-reference to the leading Republican candidate for president who is facing felony criminal charges in four different jurisdictions right now. That's just fundamentally capital A awkward. Um, but the other thing that that all the candidates were trying to do tonight was cast dispersions specifically on California, name checking cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles, describing them as unlivable because of crime and that being a problem uh, that the Democratic Party and President Biden and governors like yourself should have to answer for. So let me give you a chance to respond to that as well. Well, it's a hell of a thing. I mean, Jacksonville and Miami uh, have substantially higher murder rates than L.A. and San Francisco. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida and Miami. 
Florida have higher murder rates uh, than New York City. Uh, they eight out of the top 10 states in America, eight out of the top 10 murder states are all red states. I don't know why they didn't bring that up. Uh, why haven't they brought up property crime rates and violent crime rates in Tennessee and Arkansas in South Carolina? They omitted all of that. It's the same old stale rhetoric and their narrative doesn't fit the facts. Uh, we have to confront that more forcefully. Uh, that's an issue I'm very mindful of. We also have to confront the fundamental issues around retail theft and crime generally. All of us have to own that. But the spin is just that. Uh, and I think it's really important that the facts uh, are, are brought to light and life and we have a responsibility to do that as Democrats, not just in terms of responding to their assault, but I think a more proactive education, including, by the way, we're the most energy independent we've ever been in our history. Mike Pence may want to look that up as well. California Governor um, Gavin Newsom, the most popular man in the spin room in Simi Valley um, tonight. We want to get off your dance card because we know we have lots of others who are trying to get on, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Rachel. All right. Um, Gavin Newsom, who is is an interesting role in Democratic politics right now. He's about to debate Ron DeSantis. <laughs> As Ron DeSantis kind of falls out of the top tier of Republican candidates, uh, Governor Newsom is not himself a candidate for president, but is sort of deciding to clean up after President Biden with this one-on-one yeah. -on -one thing he's doing with DeSantis. What does that what does that look mean, Chris Hayes? Look, <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, at any given moment, there are legions of uh, politicians who look in the mirror and see a, form, a future U.S. president in the yeah. mirror. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that that Gavin Newsom is among those folks, but he's not alone, obviously. Um, I, I do think there's something interesting about this kind of, you know, this sort of red state, blue state model that ends up, you know, California, Greg Abbott uh, really loved to sort of run against California, right? Mm -hmm. Like Texas is the opposite of California. And Ron DeSantis wants to run against California. And, and, and I think that there's something interesting there because the states really do have different models. I mean, if you look at like their levels of social spending and social safety nets, and there really are different things, different policy choices they've, they've made. And I do think like making the case for a fuller social safety net and higher union protections and regulation is kind of a useful enterprise. I mean, it's, you know, it's a little stunty, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's done, I mean, he's done a lot of interesting, and he is like sort of on the fantasy team of a lot of Democrats who would like to see a younger look. Uh, they think about the California governor a lot. Um, he's done things like increase the tax on firearms, uh, the highest tax on firearms in the entire country to discourage the sales of assault weapons. Just recently, it's just happened. Just yeah. recently, um, and he's talking about, you know, the idea that there should be assault weapons bans. And he is right about Miami and Jacksonville versus San Francisco uh, and Los Angeles. Even when I lived in Florida, I was there for 14 years, Miami has crime that includes gangs that use AK-47s. That is a thing that was a problem there. The gangs there are incredibly violent. There is lots of violent crime in Miami. People think South Beach is Miami. It's a whole, totally different city. Mm. And so when people think Florida, they think about South Beach and Disney. They don't think about cities like Miami. And so there is a lot of crime all also, let's just point out that Florida now has the net highest death rate from COVID. They made very different choices, Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis, on the COVID uh, response. And now the most elderly state in the union, Florida, has the highest net death rate from COVID because of his policies and his anti-vax surgeon general. So the two of these men who were supposed to debate, first of all, it's going to be a mauling because Gavin Newsom is actually good at debating and he actually has a personality. Ron DeSantis is bad at debating and doesn't. 
have a personality. And so it's <laughs> going to be a one-on-one on one fight than he is, though, in a fight where he has to, like— He's good at yelling yeah. at journalists. He's good at screaming at journalists. Yeah. Um, DeSantis, he's not so good at— faking being a human. And so it's going to be interesting because we've seen Gavin Newsom on Fox go head to head with Fox anchors who are hostile to him. And he's able to handle in a way that's jovial, that's full of personality. He, he knows how to do this. And so I I think Ron DeSantis thinks he wants that debate. I don't think he really wants what, that smoke. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, just, I was just going to say that, you know, in this sort of idea of like different models of governance, which I, I do think is interesting and can be quite substantive in terms of debate. Rich, you made this point before. But I did think, like, again, it's not the model of government I think is good. But the Doug Burgum, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's a few neighborhoods in Brooklyn is the size of the state that he governs. So it's like it's it's not that big a group of people. But again, he was trying to make some case of like, here's a template for what Republican governance can look like um, that I thought was at least like grounded in something other than sloganeer. And hold on. I don't think Ron DeSantis is good at yelling at journalists, right? If you are, you know, Rachel just said he's better one-on-one. Has Ron DeSantis ever agreed to sit down one-on-one with any of you? He definitely hasn't with me. And his office doesn't even take our calls. Right. So if you are actually good, you know, if he is good one-on-one, to be to say like, well, yes, can he stand at a podium right. protected right. and shout down at people that aren't on equal footing? Have at it. So can anyone. But to say like Ron DeSantis is good at one-on-one, I'd invite him to sit down with any one of us and have an honest conversation. He's not willing to get in a room. All right. We've got much more of our recap of tonight's Republican debate ahead. If you did not know what Governor, Ga- Governor Gavin Newsom was talking about when he said the sex comments. Mm. I, no, we hadn't already played that soundbite because I am very no, easily I know, embarrassed. I know. But we'll do it and we won't come back to me afterwards. That's a because tease. I don't want to That's talk a to tease. You about it. Here it comes and then there'll be a commercial and then I'll come back when it's over. Mike Pence was the one who brought up sex. When you have the President of the United States sleeping with a member of the teachers' union, there is no chance that you could take the stranglehold away from the teachers' union every day. Full disclosure, Chris, you mentioned the president's situation. I, my wife uh, isn't a member of the teachers' union, but I got to admit, I've, I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. And um, so, full disclosure. Okay. Right before the break, we played the two oblique sex references. We're not going to talk about it. It wasn't that oblique. Wasn't that oblique? (laughs) Sleeping with, I guess, is not that Okay. So we're just not going to do that again. I'm just sorry. You just have to wait until we've rolled over to new anchors. It's not going to happen. Okay. But I've got got about a tight five minutes on it, but keep going. (laughs) Jen Psaki has joined us. And Jen, as a new member of this panel, A, we welcome you. B, you are now a voting member of this poll. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear the terrible Donald Duck thing or do you not want to? I do. You got to play it. You have to play it. You have to play it. I'm up. Nobody has veto power. That's enough. Go. (laughs) I want to look in that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay. And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that. No one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. All right. I want to ask Do- Governor DeSantis, you fired a couple of... <laughs> oh, remember the... You rehearsed that all day. <laughs> well, the, here's the thing. You know, the Donald gr- Duck's been sleeping with a teacher for 20 years. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this, 
the, this, the, the triumph of Chris Christie in the last round of Republican primary debates was when he dismantled Marco Rubio, Marco Rubio yes. live on television as not a real boy yeah. by saying you have been practicing this thing. You've been practicing it. You've been practicing it. It's all you're capable of saying. And it's coming out. It's making you sound like a robot. And Chris Christie dismantled him by saying, I am a live human and can have spontaneous thoughts <laughs> and say things that weren't cooked up in focus group. And then he just buried himself with that. And it was like he was go I, when he started talking, I thought he was going to do that. Because yeah. I thought he was going to speak to the camera, which is what he was doing. And I thought he was going to just make Donald Trump go crazy and truth put social something crazy. And instead, he ended with that yeah. really cringy, right. cringy and it's happening, line. As Joy was pointing out, right, it's happening at a time when if you're going to take on Donald Trump, Donald Trump did just suggest the execution of the top military officer in the United States, right? And so, like, if we're going to go after him on something and being like, I got a new nickname for you, <laughs> like, maybe not the day for that, especially if it's going to land yes. that way. It just, it just He's felt been like... the most sort of disappointing. Because there yeah. was a theory of the case that had Donald Trump actually shown up on the debate stage, it was Chris Christie that would take him apart. Mm -hmm. Now I think that that was not really, that was BS, because he's really not that good. He's not as good as he used to be. I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll maybe he'll get better. I'm not sure. I will say we do have a little bit of news. I don't even know if this counts as news. Since we've been on the air, the Trump campaign, such as it is, says that he definitely won't be there for the next one either. Oh, no. mm -hmm. OK. I know. Anybody expected him to be there? Mm -hmm. No. It is interesting that they are making these candidates pledge that they will support the 2024 nominee, no matter who it is, as a condition of participating in these things. I think as long as that is a condition, there's no chance that Donald Trump can be in. Mm -mm. Right. And, you know, it, these debates have been on Fox and you were, I thought, very classy and, and careful to say that journalists do this. It's a, it's a tough thing. I'm not here to, yeah. to single that out. But I think as a political matter, Fox has so aligned itself with a part of the right wing MAGA movement and had to pay out over seven hundred million dollars because of the lengths they went to support the big lie, which is linked to the insurrection. Um, and what do they get back for it? Again, not that a good journalistic outlet would look at it this way, but there's a lot of reporting that they did. What do they get back for it? He snubs their debates. He does counter-programming. He stunts on them tonight. I'm sure Chris Christie is thinking, darn, I had that great, you know, Disney reference. <laughs> and it's now being overshadowed by the announcement that he can skip all these debates. Donald Duck them in the current uh, vernacular on Twitter. As they and say. As, they, as, as, is, as one says. Um, and get away with it. And so I think, well, I want to be, I want to follow your example of being fair and not overdoing the media thing. There is a political tension here of how much Fox... And, and the right-wing media has given up to Trump and how little he's giving back. And that's, for him, a flex to the, the electorate to say, I'm above all of it. There's also there's something so weird to me about watching the spectacle, particularly after, like, Stephanie, you were talking about, right? So there was all this hype. After the midterms, Donald Trump was at a low point. And it was probably the lowest point he'd been politically since right after January 6th, right? If you look at the polling, you look at, there were there were a lot of folks in the political establishment, I think even the base, who wanted to move on past Trump. That was true after January 6th when his numbers were really down. It was true after the midterms where people thought, wait a second, and all the candidates this guy backed, like, did really poorly. Like, we have actually, like, we ran, like, basically a randomized control trial in a number of states where we had, like, non-Trump candidate and Trump candidate. We, like, look at the Delta. It was, like, five to six points. Why are we going to do this again? 
and then we've watched them like sleepwalk into this trap again. Mm-hmm. And it's so bizarre to me when you think about like there's something a little sort of in the aggregate, the different personalities, the coalitions, like the Democrats are way more neurotic than the Republicans are. <laughs> and I think like the Democrats could be like stand to be like a little less neurotic and Republicans could be stand a little more neurotic. More bedwetting on one side. They should be like <laughs> watching this happen. I'm just like, if this were on the Democratic side, like, yes, he's pulling ahead. And yes, there's been a bunch of polls where he looked competitive with Biden. But you're really going to go into next year where he's going to stand trial in federal court for the first attempt on the government since Fort Sumter. And maybe he'll be convicted of it. And you think that's not going to change the political stature of your party or his chances of being elected. And everyone's just going to kind of like ho-hum and shrug their shoulders and sort of throw in the towel early and say like, well, we'll just do that guy. And it's like, what are you doing? And you and you wonder how with a man that has 92 criminal counts against him and is threatening to execute a military general, the highest military general in the United States, that level of mediocrity in opposition to him is actually shocking. Mm. That there are no statesmen. There's no impressive alternative. These, again, are the only seven people who could look less impressive than Donald Trump who tried to overthrow the government. And with that ringing endorsement, more of our special coverage is to come (laughs) here tonight. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. Welcome back to our special coverage of the second Republican presidential primary debate. I'm Rachel Maddow here at MSNBC with my colleagues Jen Psaki, Chris Hayes, Joy Reid, Ari Melber, Steph Rule. Doesn't get better than this. Um, Just a quick reminder of what a lot of this debate was like. Um, For a lot of the time that this debate was happening tonight, it just sounded like this. Excuse me. Thank you for speaking while I'm interrupting. Literally. While I'm speaking. Well, literally. No, you said by paper. If I may You can't be on both sides. Gentlemen, you'll have your turn. One of the challenges we should have a focus on the issues that matter. We know there's this in China. Everybody knows that. If I may address. Let's focus on holding Joe Biden accountable. That's what we need to be I actually agree with Ron DeSantis. speaking at the same time? I know you think that we dubbed in chaos sound on top of people saying things that made sense. That was unedited, and that's what it sounded like, and that's just, that's the treat we all got. Congratulations. (laughs) The sound of your Republican Party at work sorting things out. Um, Again, there were seven Republican candidates on stage tonight. The candidate leading all of them by roughly 40 points nationally was not there. The moderators did not ask about him, uh, but the candidates themselves occasionally brought it up. We don't get any answers because Joe Biden hides. 
in his basement and won't answer as to why he's raising the debt the way he's done. And Donald Trump hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. He put $7 trillion on the debt. He should be in this room to answer those questions for the people you talk about who are Can suffering. Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added 7.8 trillion to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have now. To our colleague Ari's point from earlier this evening, you would think in hearing today's candidates talk about Donald Trump that the worst thing he ever did was not appear at this debate tonight. They apparently feel like that is safe territory on which to attack him. But uh, the dozens of felonies and the ruling just yesterday that he may lose his entire business empire because of a finding of fraud in a New York state court, uh, that stuff just wasn't up for discussion, even with him as the de facto nominee, uh, the, 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 the unimpeachable frontrunner at this point um, of, of this field. There's one interesting moment tonight from candidate Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, where he hit Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on a previous statement that Ron DeSantis had made about slavery. As Governor DeSantis has been attacking the teaching of black history um, and lots of other things in Florida education, um, he at one point made the claim uh, in Florida that there were good things about history um, and has been asked to account for this claim in Florida state government. There were good things about the history of slavery uh, in that it sort of toughened people up and gave them skills that they used on some second planet where slavery wasn't the defining feature of the moral universe at that time. It was an odd thing for Ron DeSantis to get trapped into. Um, he called it essentially a hoax tonight and denied having said it. Uh, but Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, took him to task on it in a way that was started off direct and then got weird in its own way. America has suffered because of slavery, but we've overcome that. We are the greatest nation on earth because we faced our demons in the mirror and made a decision. Our nation continues to go in the right direction. It's why I can say I have been discriminated against, but America is not a racist country. Never ever doubt who we are. We are the greatest country on God's green earth. Joining us now is former RNC chairman Michael Steele. Michael, I wanted to play that before going to you because why? I know that that's part of what you wanted to talk about tonight. Yeah. Tell me why that moment spoke to you from the debate tonight. It didn't. It was a load of, <laughs> it was a load of crock. Black man sitting up there talking about there's no racism, there's no discrimination, so discrimination, no racism. This, this debate was just a farce. I really, I've been sitting here listening to you folks, and I have to give you all plaudits for actually trying to do analysis of what was the most amazing crap show we have seen of a debate. And I've done a lot of debates in my 45 years of politics. Um, this thing was an embarrassment. It was a national embarrassment. It was a political embarrassment for the Republican Party. Um, and Donald Trump didn't have to show up. There's no reason for Donald Trump to even come near these folks because they can't touch him. He'll be at 60 percent in two weeks. Sure. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. And the reality, when you have a candidate who can't talk about slavery, when you have two candidates arguing over curtains, when you've got another candidate sitting there saying, you know, yeah, Putin's a bad guy, but I still love him. 
where, where do you go? You're standing in, in political hallowed ground at the Reagan Library. And this struck me more than anything else. You have these guys standing here in this library. Reagan took Russia to task. Reagan, Reagan bankrupted Russia, put it on its knees, broke it. And not one of them could even talk about that. Not one of them could connect that dot to this current moment of what's happening with Ukraine. And that says a lot about this, this troop of candidates and the state of this party. Um, and the other thing, the other takeaway for me, Rachel, Democrats, I don't know why the hell you are tied with these people. How does that happen? What are you doing? Why can't you communicate coherently to the American people? You got this and then you've got what we've done over the last two years. I don't get it. So this the whole campaign is setting itself up to be a Donald Trump bloodbath um, on the Constitution, on democracy, because he's going to continue to appeal to the lowest common denominator because seemingly no one knows how to counter that narrative. Michael, let me put my, my theory of the case to you, and I don't think you will agree with it, which is why I'm putting it to you, because I really okay. would like to hear your rejoinder to it. I feel like what's happening in this Republican primary and what's happening in Republican politics right now is that the Republican Party, the Republican base, the Republican electorate has effectively decided that they don't really want to do politics anymore. And they're not all that interested in what politics is and governing and political campaigning and policy competition and all that stuff. They're not interested in it. They, they would prefer to have a strong man, a particular strong man who they already know and who they like, and they would prefer to have that. And that's what they want instead of politics. And so you get all of these other candidates up there and they're having a political fight and they're talking about right. politics and they're behaving like right. politicians, yeah. whether or not they've been politicians before. But they're doing politics. And the Republican Party says no to all of them, almost in equal measure, because they would prefer a strong man who is going to end politics and do something that is not about democratic political competition. Right. And so the, 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 the Democratic Party has their candidate. They've got their incumbent president and they're putting up a political campaign, and that appeals to sort of Democrats, generally mm -hmm. speaking, small D Democrats. But the Republican Party is riven by something that is much more fundamental, and it makes all of these candidates look as small as they look. That's my theory I, of the case, but I bet you don't agree. I know. You, you would bet wrong. You'd lose some money on that one. Mm. You'd lose some money on that one. I actually do agree with that. I think that is, that is why you see the stultifying kind of commentary and the awkward body language and the, and the Vivek Swami, I'm going to swam all over you kind of narrative where he doesn't give anyone a chance to talk because if he keeps running his mouth, Right. He thinks with every word that is uttered, he's smarter and smarter and smarter. And Nikki Haley nailed it when she said, no, we're all getting dumber and dumber and dumber. Uh, and so this this whole thing is playing out is as this as this crazy kind of I don't know how to do what I should be doing to be president kind of thing, because at its core, the base doesn't want them to. You're absolutely mm. right. The base doesn't want them to. They want a strong man. They want to own the libs. They want to take out their opponents. They don't want to hang out with people who look like me. They don't want to talk to people who look like you and act like you and live where you live. And this is the this is the America they're trying to set up because they think they'll feel safer in it. They think they will be safer in it. And the reality of it is, no, you won't, because at a certain point, it comes back on you, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it comes back on you too because you be suddenly become other to someone else in that mm-hmm. group and that becomes un-american and that's the part they don't see but donald trump doesn't need them to see it and he doesn't want them to see it and no one on that stage has that clarifying moment that you referenced earlier in the program where oh wow someone is actually legitimately authoritatively coming through not in a negative way saying look i got this this is how we lead the country. This is where we need to go. The economy, let's talk about it. Healthcare, here's the plan. Our relationships for, in foreign policy, yeah, we stand with our friends. No one is doing that. And so that's why tonight was such a crap show of people screaming, yelling, and talking about curtains. Well, if, the, if, that, if that is the problem, though, if you've effectively got a, a very different kind of problem in the Republican Party than you've got anywhere else in politics— and, and the problem is that the people who are going to vote in a Republican primary and the people who define themselves as part of the Republican base don't want politics anymore. They want something else. Right. Then is it fair to ask a political party to solve for that problem? I mean, the Republican National Committee and the various candidates who are competing for the nomination in that party, they sort of seem like it's they're beside the point. I mean, who does fix it if this is not a political problem anymore? They can't fix it because they created it. I mean, how, how did Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein, deal with his monster? He, he didn't know what to do. He was just as befuddled as the, as the villagers. He had, what do you do? I can't stop it. I created it and I can't stop it. So, yeah, there, there is no way for them to do. And we've seen this narrative play itself out to they succumb more and more to the will of the monster. They, be, they become more and more like it. They give up on those founding principles, which is what the great irony of being in Reagan's library tonight stood out to me, because none of them stand for anything Reagan stood for. Ronald Reagan on that stage, they would laugh at him. They would boo him. And so that's, that's the problem for the party, narratively, is how do you then go out and project that you want to be a governing majority, have a governing majority, when you can't even get yourself off that, off that stage properly? You can't even convince the person standing next to you, your left and right, that you're a better candidate. When that question was asked, everybody punted. I would have been like, yeah, all y'all need to go. <laughs> none, none of y'all should be here. I mean, I appreciate this island Christmas. has no people on it anymore. This, this island has no, no, all it's of us. Depopulated we island. <laughs> we gone. <laughs> Former RNC chairman Michael Steele, sir, always an honor, particularly tonight. Thank you very much. All Great right, to have you take here. Care. So Michael Steele says, what's the phrase? Crap show. Crap show. Yeah, but that's hard. I, you know, I, I was fascinated by that conversation that you just had because I think you're on to something that I think is a bigger conversation that we need to have that isn't really just about the Republicans. Like, are we at the end of politics? Because, you know, it is a really brilliant point that the Republican Party exists in a world in which demographically seven, what, six out of the seven last presidential elections, they can't win the popular vote mm-hmm. because demographically and the dispersion of multiracial communities makes it very hard for them to win through conventional politics. The things they want to do, ban abortion, highly unpopular. When you put it through politics, you put it through an election, they can't win that. 
the things they want to do on guns. Seventy some odd percent of Americans don't agree with it. So they have to force these things through through anti-democratic means. Voter suppression is the only way. Gerrymandering is the only way they can actually get what they want, because what they want is so unpopular that when you put their ideas through the political process, they can't win. And the frustration and the rage not being able to ban all immigrants and get all the quote unquote illegals out. You can't do it right? because logistically it's impossible. It's also unpopular, ruins businesses in Florida. So if you think about it, all of politics has enraged a certain group of Americans who cannot win through politics. But and Julie, so what do you go to? You go to autocracy. non-political process. Right. And I'm not sure that Democrats have an answer. Biden's going to give this big speech on democracy tomorrow. I'm not sure that Democrats and Biden have an answer to what do you do when something like 40 percent of American adults have given up on politics and say politics isn't the answer. Give me a strong man who can impose Impose. my minority positions on the rest of you, on women. We're going to make women give birth. We're going to make you do it. Because you don't want to do it, and politics won't allow me to make you do it. I mean, how do we solve for this? This is actually a fundamental problem. Okay, but they're not participating in politics and policy in the same way that Fox News is no longer covering news or politics. It's grievance media. And this takes us back to who was standing behind Donald Trump, who was the mastermind behind his first campaign. It was Steve Bannon, who very clearly said— Let's just break the system. And that's what they're doing. Well, and the media hasn't figured it out either. Let's just be honest. The the mainstream media, Fox set them aside. They're just the Republican Party's voice. I mean, those of us complaining about Joe Biden's sneakers. This is what I'm saying. The media can't figure out how to do something other than conventional politics from like the 90s. And so they're like both sides, both sides, both sides. If we say Donald Trump is corrupt, well, we must cover Hunter Biden equally. If we say, you know, we have to even Steven it, we have to find something to say because we have to say Trump is corrupt. We have to say Trump is violent. So let's talk about the sneakers. Biden is old. They're the same age. But we act as if Biden's age is equal to Donald Trump's threat. And and the media hasn't figured out how to do this either. So it's like the whole system is busted. And I honestly don't think the media has an answer for it. I don't think Democrats have an answer. They're going to do a campaign, right? A regular campaign against that. I think part of the problem, just to go back to the root origin of this, is like if you look at what's happening in Washington right now, it's officially the day of the first impeachment hearing, I guess, right (laughs) now. And the government's about to shut down in two days. Basically, Kevin McCarthy, like him, don't like him, think he's flipped around on many issues he has, has no idea what to do either. He's also befuddled on how to control his own party, because to go back to the root point here— he, their party, the core powerful people in that party, their agenda is to shut it down, to burn the house down. They don't, they're not debating policy issues, just like they were asked policy questions tonight, a lot of them, and they didn't want to answer them. They want to burn it down. They want government to not function. That's their agenda. So it's like negotiating with not a terrorist, but someone like that. Like they're not going to, it's not somebody you should be negotiating with. That's the challenge. Listen, but, I, th- I, I will just make one quick point yeah. on this and then go to you, Chris. I would just say that There is something to be said for President Biden's approach to talk about the problem, right? Him giving a speech on democracy right now is a good idea. Because what happens when you are having people in your polity, right, in, in, in your political world who are trying to say, we don't want politics anymore. We don't want a democratic process. We don't want any kind of governing process at all. We want to impose what we know is right for this country because we're the only real citizens and therefore our will should just be imposed. Right. 
the way you fight that is by standing up and saying, no, we still need politics. Mm -hmm. No, actually, a democracy is the way we solve the problems that we have. And actually, we ought to stand up for the kind of system of government that we've got. There isn't a way to fight fire with fire if what you are fighting against is people who are saying, I want force and violence and war as a way of settling things. Once we've got violence and political intimidation in our political system, it makes it very hard to do politics. And so you need to argue to get violence and intimidation out of the system. And there's no way to do it except through democracy. Democracy is a process. It's not an end. I totally agree. And I think to just the the thing I was going to say is that I thought the midterms were sort of a blueprint, right? I mean, they, the, the midterms, they tried to call the question mm. at an existential level about democracy and try to assemble what I think is um, a tenuous but extant and durable pro-democracy majority among the American electorate, yeah. a kind of popular front from, you know, Bill Crystal, Noam Chomsky, basically, that that is that is in favor of continuing the American constitutional republic in a recognizable self-governing form, which is the really it really is the question. It, it's very hard to keep telling people this. It's like this is the question being called, which is that like Donald Trump wants to end it. Like we were talking tonight about the, you know, the Millie comments. It's not just the Millie comments. I mean, they've been very explicit. This is a thing, right? You see in places that are falling apart democratically. Who are the security source forces loyal to? Mm-hmm. Right. He's explicitly saying he wants loyal security forces. He wants to get rid of disloyal security forces. He does not like officers of the United States armed forces who are loyal to the Constitution over him. He wants to replace them with lackeys for him. He is mad at them because they wouldn't undertake the coup. It's all very explicit about what's he, what he's promising and what he's doing. And ultimately, the, the, the only solution, the only thing we really have right at our disposal is assembling this pro-democracy majority once again. There are legal remedies, right? He's maybe going to be convicted. There's talk about the 14th Amendment. But, you know, he's probably going to stand for office as the nominee, and ultimately it's going to just be up to assembling that majority again. And that desire to have governing, to get rid of governing, and to have that kind of force deciding how things go in the United States. It is a recurring problem in our country. This is not the first time that we have ever felt it. And Jim Crow was a form of fascism, the kind of fascism we had here in advance of World War II with Americans who wanted to side with the Axis, which is the thing that I've been working on for a long time. That was part of it, too. We have dealt with this recurring problem in our country before we can learn from people who have dealt with it in the past. But there's no way through it except through it. You have to confront it for what it is. But you know what, what, what keeps me up at night is that when you talk to people, and Stephanie, I, talk, we, I think we talk about this probably more than anyone else. There are people who are so frustrated by politics that are not Trumpies. They are not fascists. But they say, yeah, but every yeah, four years out. you tell me I have to vote and my student loans are still killing me. Mm-hmm. My rent is still killing me. I still can't afford health care. Still, even I've got Obamacare, it's still expensive. It's still hard for me to actually live, yeah. especially younger people who are getting more and more cynical. And this is the generation that are not getting more conservative as they get older. They want LGBTQ folks to have their rights. They don't want to what ban, you know, trans surgery. They're for it. They want they want a more pluralistic liberal world, but they're also frustrated with politics. Mm-hmm. And they're not so excited to vote. They're not excited the to vote. And so the but we keep telling them, and I, I'm I'm the auntie that's always like, Auntie Joy, keep telling you, you have to vote. Then you have to keep doing. You have to do it on the local level. You have to vote in school board. But we keep telling them that the only answer to fix this autocratic movement is politics. And when they say, but the politics takes long, doesn't get mm-hmm. me where I want, and isn't making yeah. my rent lower, and isn't making food cheaper. 
it's very difficult to yeah. keep them on the train. And part of standing up for democracy, though, is making sure that people's needs and what yes. people articulate yes. as their yes. wants are made manifest That's by right. the representative government that we vote for. That's right. That is part of what it is, not just to make this country Word. great, yeah. but it's to make democracy work yeah. and to answer that that existential question. All right, we've got much more in our special coverage of the Second Republican debate ahead, memorably christened tonight by the former chair of the Republican Party as a crap show. And because I'm quoting, I can say that without getting in trouble. We'll be right back. As the UN ambassador, you literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains and a $15 million subsidized location. On the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send it, them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them, back? You send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. Are, they your were curtains. there before I even showed up at the residence. You here's, are here's scrapping. A, you a, are a, scrapping. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome back to our continuing post-game coverage of tonight's second Republican debate. I'm Jen Psaki, and there's no question that tonight's debate was a little bizarre. We really saw just how desperate some of these candidates are to hold out onto some of those small portion of the MAGA base that seemed to be their goal, or at least for a lot of them. For instance, Vivek Ramaswamy called for the end of birthright citizenship for children born to undocumented parents. I favor ending birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. Now, the left will howl about the Constitution and the 14th Amendment. That's how we really go the distance and solve this problem and restore the rule of law in the United States of America, because that is part of what it even means to be an American. It's a bit of a novel interpretation there. Then there's former Vice President Mike Pence, who said that the solution to mass shootings is to effectively abolish the concept of due process under the law. I am sick and tired of these mass shootings happening in the United States of America. And if I'm president of the United States, I'm going to go to the Congress of the United States, and we're going to pass a federal expedited death penalty for anyone involved in a mass shooting so that they will meet their fate in months, not years. Not a mention of the guns there, the whole guns part of it. And Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida seemed to want to provoke a war with Mexico. He's saying he'd send the U.S. military to fight the drug cartels in that country. Going to use the U.S. military to go after the Mexican drug cartels. Are we just going to sit here and let this happen, this carnage happen in our country? Now, most of those proposals are not only unrealistic, they also run afoul of, say, the U.S. Constitution and any common sense and where the electorate is. In other words, perfectly reasonable for this Republican field. 
Joining me now here at the table, former Democratic senator from Missouri, Claire McCaskill, former White House communications director and co-host of Showtime's The Circus, Jen Palmieri. I should note that Claire and Jen are the hosts of the fantastic new MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024. Everybody should listen to that. Also with us, former communications director for Vice President Kamala Harris and the host of Simone on MSNBC, Simone Sanders Townsend. Republican strategist Susan Del Percio, and joining us from Washington, of course, the one and only former RNC chairman Michael Steele. Michael, thank you for bringing some male energy. We've got like a lot of female power going on here. Nikki Haley, you're welcome to join us anytime. So I was struck by a lot in this debate, although I'm not sure how much we're going to remember a week from now. But Claire, I want to start with you because it's easy to watch debates like this and think, and I sometimes talk to the TV, maybe all of us do, and think, that's crazy. That's crazy. What do you think? I mean, are they trying to just appeal to the base? Or are they desperately trying to stay in the race? What is the strategy all about? Well, I, first of all, it was incredibly painful. Poor Michael Steele. Poor Susan. I mean, anybody who has ever had an R behind their name had to be in mourning t- tonight. I mean, this made train wrecks look pleasant. It was ugly to listen to. Um, I don't know that anybody who really wanted to learn anything had that possibility. And I got to say right up front, I'm going to call. I mean, I know moderating a debate's hard. I've never done it. I can imagine it's hard. But uh, malpractice on the moderators. How do you not ask a question about a guy who's kicking all their proverbial you-know-whats by advocating, executing one of the highest generals in the country. Mm-hmm. How do you not ask them? They're blathering on about law and order. How do you not ask them about the guy who's kicking their proverbial, you know what's having 91 indictments? And by the way, setting up Haley and Scott to fight with each other? How is that a good moderator move? And <laughs> That's so uncomfortable. The, the only moment that DeSantis had was when she did that lame, write down who you're going to vote off the island. DeSantis had the only moment any of them looked large when he said, well, we're not, we're not going to do that. That was probably his best moment it in was. any, in any of the debates. You did mention this law and order thing that Governor DeSantis said. I just want to play that because I want to talk to you all about that. I will use the Justice Department to bring civil rights cases against all of those left-wing Soros-funded prosecutors. We're not going to let them get away with it anymore. We want to reverse this country's decline. We need to choose law and order over rioting and disorder. There's kind of a word salad. I always wonder if they kind of get a dollar or five dollars for saying certain words like Soros funded. They get a little sheet. But um, I mean, there's some (laughs) there's a little bit of chutzpah there, the law and order. Okay, so Simone, what did you make of that? Well, first of all, shout out to the anti-Semitic dog whistle, because every time they say Soros, that is what they are talking about. Uh, What Governor DeSantis was talking about was bringing pattern or practice investigations against Democratic or progressive prosecutors, I guess, in the country. I don't know exactly how that is going to work out for him. It seems to me that everyone on that debate stage, and to be very clear, they know better. So why they don't do better is beyond me, but they all do know better. But on that debate stage, they all looked small tonight. I did not see that one president and they did not seem to have a grasp of what was actually law or reality. You know, you had uh, Vice President, former Vice President Pence saying we need to repeal the Green New Deal. Honey, the Green New Deal is not law. 
Yeah, no. Where, it's where not, were you at? He said some more uncomfortable things we'll get to <laughs> later. Susan, I mean, we're mourning for you. I think everybody at this table. <laughs> but it, to be fair, it is hard to figure out what the strategy should be in running against Trump because neither of the strategies seem to be working. Some who are attacking him, like Chris Christie, are not going anywhere in the polls. Those who are not attacking him, and none of them seem to really tonight, are not moving anywhere in the polls. Did anything stick out to you that will help any of them move in the Republican primary? No, and that's because none of them took advantage of the opportunity for the second time. This is the second debate. None of them brought their their message through. They didn't talk about why they would be a good president. I think Simone's right. Like they played small and they didn't look presidential. And what's worse is actually the closest thing I think of is like there are a bunch of kindergartens hopped up on candy and the teacher left the room because that's how they sounded. They were just bickering over each other. They, they did nothing to help themselves. I hope they realize that they will not be Donald Trump's number two and a few of them will step off like Tim Scott. It's time for him to go and at least leave with some demeanor. And Ron DeSantis? He's already gone. Tim Scott, <laughs> that's an interesting point. I do have a five and an eight-year-old, so I do relate to this point here. So if you're the Biden team and you're watching this debate, do you think that was good for us? Do you think it's irrelevant? Do you take some of the extreme things they said? What do you do? I think it's a, I think it's largely irrelevant. I think the Republican primary debates kind of stopped being relevant after the last one, where all of them, except for... Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, who didn't make this debate, raised their hand and said, I will support this man if he is convicted. Like, what is your theory? What is I don't like I just I thought the whole argument, you know, DeSantis won't really attack Trump other than not showing up at the debate. But he won't ever say he's a bad guy or he would be he's, mm. or he was a bad president. He won't critique him in any real way. I thought the theory was Trump gets convicted and then he goes away. And but no, you know, then. They're so inside their own head and being scared of being attacked. They just, they even, they, they're going to, they're going to support him even if he's convicted. And so they're still useful because they're useful for the general election. Mm. You know, Chris Christie attacking, um, the way Chris Christie attacks, uh, Donald Trump. That's probably useful for like <laughs> yeah. independent voters to yeah. see. You know, it, I think it still does, has an impact and also it instructs us on how, you know, these, these, how, uh, how Trump has continues to, to just have these, his opponents really as supporters. They're really like mm. a chorus that is, they're that is like sort of, supportive mm. actors. Yeah. I want to bring in Michael Steele, um, who's always a straight talker, as we all know. And <laughs> Michael, I, I mean, you're not advising any of these candidates, as we know, no. but if you were advising someone, who was trying to run and take on and defeat Donald Trump in this primary, what would you tell them to do on a debate stage? I'd ask them, I, it wouldn't even, before you got to the debate stage, I'd ask one very, very important question, which I've asked at least two of the presidential candidates. Uh, and that is, are you prepared to lose this primary in order to win the presidency? Because that's really what this is about. It's about what you're willing to put on the table to show the American people what you're willing to give up in order to become the leader that they want, that they need at this hour, that you're prepared to make a sacrifice, meaning your own political career, the thing that you presumably value more than anything else, you're willing to give that over and give it up because that's how important what happens in America, what happens to Americans is to you. So if you can't answer that question and none of them can and none of them have, uh, then you don't need to be on that stage. And so go sit in the bathroom and think it through. 
and work it out. And when you get the answer, come out and then we go on the stage. That's how I start that conversation. Tonight you saw individuals disconnected from the Republican Party that presumably, and I know for a fact for a lot of them, they've been a part of for a long, long time. They were disconnected on the economy. They were disconnected on health care. They were disconnected on immigration. They were disconnected on foreign policy. They were disconnected from the very man in whose house they were standing, Ronald Reagan. And so it is very clear that the infection that has taken hold has deeper roots than I think anyone probably thought or imagined. Um, And so this now becomes a real problem for them. Uh, And I think it was to the point that it was just made about, okay, somebody's got to step down and step out because this isn't going to work. Well, they're not going to because they're too now invested in their egos that the next time they have to be on that stage any way they can uh, because they still believe that, you know, they're the ones who can stop Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is like, no, nah, babe, you can't do that. I'm sorry. This is not going to happen. <laughs> and there's nothing that they can do about it at this point because they haven't been able to answer the first question is, what are you prepared to give up in order to win? That's a good question to go to a quick break on. The whole group is sticking around. We have much more ahead on tonight's Republican debate and the state of the race for the president, including who got the most attacks and his name wasn't Donald Trump. Stay with us and we'll be right back. So if you were talking to Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, and Chris Christie before they launched their campaigns, say a year ago or even six months ago, and you told them they would be spending precious time at the second debate going after Vivek Ramaswamy, who they may not have even heard of at the time, they probably would have told you that something had gone terribly wrong. But here we are. We're sitting here in the Reagan Library. Yes, I wish you would not. In honor of Ronald Reagan's library, if I may. Well, from one, Tim, from one admirer of Ronald Reagan to another. From one admirer of Reagan to another, we cannot do deals with this. This isn't productive. I want to hear about that. You know what I did with my first company? We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. And when I started my next company, Strive, right when it was years ago. I'm glad Vivek pulled out of his business deal in 2018 in China. That must have been about the time you decided to start voting in presidential elections. So this is infuriating because TikTok (laughs) is one of the most dangerous social media apps that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm That Nikki Haley moment was what everybody was thinking at home, or many people were thinking at home. So Same Nikki Haley. I mean, I never thought she would speak for me, but, but that day, on that moment, Nikki Haley was my spokesperson. But here we are. So Vivek Ramaswamy, who I had never heard of uh, a year ago, um, yeah. he is now the target. To me, this is a sign that DeSantis is on his way down. Rivek Ramaswamy is on his way up a bit. Yes, this is kind of an alternative debate, given Trump is so far ahead. But, Claire, what did you make of all the attacks on Vivek? Well, he's just kind of a jerk. (laughs) Um, You know, he's the kind of candidate. I know I've sat in rooms with consultants and Mm. people trying to help me on campaigns. and Mansplainers? (laughs) Well, and, and frankly, it's irritating, I think, when women are 
told about having to be likable. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. everybody needs to realize that goes for everybody. It's not a woman-man thing. If you are not likable as a candidate, you will not get elected to much. And so I, I, he's just very arrogant and full of himself. And I think they wanted to bring him down because they, they saw how he behaved in the last debate. So I thought it was hysterical tonight when he said, well, we need to show respect for our fellow candidates and not <laughs> hurl personal insults. I'm going, well, pot kettle. This is a guy who like just hijacked the first debate. And I think they all decided they weren't going to let him do it again. But in the process, it just turned into a swampy mess. So we're watching it as kind of saying, you know, viewers of all of this who've been involved in politics. Michael, say I want to bring you back in here because whether people think it's sane or not, Vivek Ramaswamy is now, I would say, a major player in the Republican primary. No, I don't know. He's not. Stop no. it. No, okay. No. You tell me. He, he is no. he is moving into second place. What role does he have in the Republican primary right now? What role does he have? No role? Irrelevant? Ooh. It's what do you a, think of it's that? Whole, wholly irrelevant. He's not he's not taking out Donald. Why are we even talking about him? <laughs> this man ain't taking out Donald Trump. Uncle and Donald Mike Trump the, the the moment he gets close to Donald Trump, what do you think Donald Trump's gonna do? Donald squash Trump like was that squash him like a less than a bug. And here's the thing about Vivek. This is the part that, you know, let's connect all the little dots here. And he gets up there and he says he declares because, you know, that he knows how to deal with immigration, that he's going to, you know, kick out all those all those young children, the children who are born to illegal immigrants, taking a de- deconstructing birthright citizenship. Really? And liberals, he says, yes, they're going to lose their mind. No, they won't. But you know who will? You know who would? Your mama and your daddy who birthed your behind here illegally because you are exactly that person you are trying to now keep from being a U.S. citizen. That's the fallacy and the BS coming out of this guy's mouth every damn time. And I'm so glad Nikki put it so well. We are all dumber every time he opens his mouth because he's lying to you. He's obstructing the truth. He's twisting it. He's turning it because he wants to be the Trump instead of Trump. And the reality of it is the base is not going to do it. The money ain't going to do it. So let's just stop pretending there's something here that we should be concerned about or even talking about. It's good entertainment. He, he runs his mouth incessantly. But what is he actually saying when he says stuff like this on birthright citizenship, when his own family are exactly the people he wants to kick out of the country? Uh, look, I, I think this is a very good point because sometimes people say crazy things and we think, oh, nobody will pay attention. <laughs> but people do pay attention. And Susan, what did you make of what he had to say and Nikki Haley's response, of course? Well, I guess broad picture from the first debate, he was like kind of a fly that they tried to flick around. And then Nikki came out with the fly swatter and just batted <laughs> it up and swatted it Yeah. But there is something important to recognize with his presence on the stage that some, not I, find appealing. He's the only person who is not a current or former governor or senator. He's the only one who fits that, who fits into that hole. And it is like running as the outsider. He has that. And I don't think, I don't think people realize like that was something that not only people responded to with Donald Trump, but they still do. If you think government is the problem, you don't want to look at those six other people. 
And there's no one else there except for him. Now, I do think he is a flash in the pan. I could agree with Michael Moore. He's not going anywhere, and he is on his way down. Not, I don't think on his way up. I think we'll see him in fourth place pretty soon. But he does offer something that's worth considering when you start looking at the candidates and what they need to bring to the table. You know what? I think the incredulousness by which um, the chairman, Uncle Mike, as I like to call him, <laughs> responded to um, the comments about Vivek Ramaswamy is actually how a number of the how all the candidates on the stage felt tonight. And I think how some mainstream Republican voters feel and some maybe more moderate Democrats, right? They see Vivek Ramaswamy. They see the end takes on this debate stage from uh, all of the candidates collectively tonight. And they are disgusted, disappointed, and just kind of like, ugh, we are dealing with real things in this country, right? There are folks that still cannot make enough money to put food on the table mm -hmm. for their families, right? We are on the brink of a government shutdown where people will lose their paychecks and many hundreds of thousands of people will not get back pay. And this is what the Republicans on the stage are arguing about. And frankly, in my opinion, this is why Donald Trump does not feel the need to show up, because if this is what you've got, why am I coming? They are not serious. And because they are not serious, it is this is a general election game. And I go back to I said this when we were chatting with Chris earlier, and I will say it again here. Uh, Cassidy Hutchinson was on with Nicole earlier today, and Nicole asked her, are you going to vote for you know Joe Biden? Because you say you're not going to vote for Donald Trump. And she, she paused and she said, you know, I'm not there yet, but I'm not voting for Donald Trump. Maybe I'll write in. I don't know. There are a lot of folks out there, a lot of Republicans like Cassidy Hutchinson, who do not want to vote for Donald Trump. But if they're not ready to hit that button for Joe Biden, that is a vote for Donald Trump. And that is what folks need to address here, because these Republican candidates, they ain't taking Donald Trump out. And they're Don not ready for prime time. We know Donald Trump. He announced he's not showing up to the next debate. Not exactly a shocker. Uh, we have to sneak in another quick break. Everyone here is sticking around. We have much more ahead on tonight's debate and what the frontrunner was up to tonight. We'll be right back. story about tonight in two parts. Here's part one. We all know uh, curtains. Do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them Did back? Did you send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. I, they your were curtains. there before I even showed up at the residence. You here's, are here's scrapping. A, here's you a, are scrapping. I'm not scrapping. You know here's, I fought Here's a fact. Here's a fact, though. I cut Tim. I wonder what they're competing for. So that was part one, and here's part two. They're all job candidates. They want to be in the, uh, they want to tell to anything. Secretary of something. They even say VP. I don't know. Does anybody see any VP in the group? I don't think so. Okay. So, I know. Uh, yes. That, that I, mean, felt, I felt sad. What did you think of hearing him say that? It's so humiliating. It's like, what? What? What are they doing up there? They're like, I mean, the, all the d attacks on Vivek seemed to me like it was like misplaced anger because they can't go after Trump, you know? So they're like going to rip off, like they're going to like rip the face off of Trump Jr. because they're just so frustrated. But it's just, you still, you know, are you running to be the running mate? Or you think you just think he's going to collapse at some point? He's obviously not going to collapse at some mm -hmm. point. If you are going to run to be the running mate, then make a 
better, you know, make a better defense of Trump. But like they just they just didn't do any of that. There was not one. I mean, I thought Nikki Haley performed well and she sounds rational and like she lives in this century as opposed to some of the other ones. Um, but otherwise, you just it just it's 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 so mystifying what they thought they were doing tonight. I mean, Nikki Haley, I thought she performed very well and I thought she performed well in the first debate. Yeah, she moved two points after the first debate. And also she had spent about eleven million dollars in that time as well. So we're just in a bit of an alternate reality. Claire, as we kind of wrap up this evening, what do you think we might still be talking about a week from now about that debate? Is anything going to still sit with you? No, um, I'm going to forget it. I'm going to try to never think about it again. I thought it was not a good night for democracy, a terrible night for the Republican Party. I will say this. I hope a week from now we're seeing a more aggressive use of surrogates out for Biden going after Trump. The idea that he stood in a non-union hall and had a bunch of people mm. hold signs saying mm. union member for Trump. You know, it reminds me of Simone. It reminds me when he has black people standing behind yes, him, black for Trump. You know, it, it, this prop thing, he, they've got to go after him. They've got to go after him hard. I'm not saying the president has to do it all, but they have not gotten as aggressive as they need to be. Real quick, before we wrap, Simone, what, what are you going to remember, if anything, from tonight? Uh, I'm going to remember the debacle about the curtains, and I'm going to remember that Every single candidate got up on that debate stage tonight and they attacked working people, union households, votes that they are absolutely going to need if they ever want to be anything close to presidents. Susan, what about you? I so hard to forget all of it if I can. Um, but probably what walks what it stays with me is the polling from Nikki Haley. What happens? Michael Steele, bring us home. Make it quick. Uh, yeah, real quick. Uh, nothing from tonight at all. <laughs> OK, all right. Well, Michael Steele, Claire McCaskill, Jennifer Palmieri, Simone Sanders Townsend, Susan Del Percio, and of course, the one and only chairman, Uncle Michael Steele, whatever Simone calls him. Thank you so much for staying up late with me tonight. That does it for me tonight. But don't go anywhere. More coverage here on MSNBC starts right now. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.